The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Please turn in your Bible to James chapter 3 as we come to midway through this series from the letter of James. In our passage tonight, James offers a very sober assessment on the human tongue, calling it a restless evil, a deadly poison. And so for those of us who struggle with issues and sins of the tongue, is there any hope? Well, I believe what we'll find here is that our hope is not in ourselves, not in better self-control, but in finding a new power, something outside of ourselves, as we learn to abide in the one who conquered sin and death, the one who can tame our hearts and our tongues. Please follow as I read James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers... These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Father, these are hard words. These are uh, stinging words assessments of our fallen condition, and we pray for grace to receive them and wisdom to understand them as your Spirit uh, helps us to grapple with these matters as we look at ourselves, and may we look to you in the hope of the gospel revealed in Jesus Christ. Bless us, we pray, in his precious name. 
Amen. I think you would agree with me that oftentimes edifying speech is largely absent as you scan the news channels, as you watch your evening television series, as you listen to the latest trends in politics and entertainment. More and more, the messages we hear reflect the godlessness of days in, among a, a fallen humanity. We live in a, a very privileged nation that is grounded upon the constitutional rights, the freedom of speech, something we cherish as Americans. Of course, you can't go into a crowded movie theater and yell fire or do anything else that becomes an immediate threat to people's lives. But uh, for the most part, we have free speech. The government largely limits its regulation of public speech. And so that, that opens the door for the proliferation of much profanity, much ill speech in uh, public spaces and on the airwaves. And, and of course, you are aware as I am of the growing efforts to silence uh, speech in certain places, perhaps college campuses, uh, perhaps in places that want to challenge agendas uh, that are at odds with uh, what we might call a traditional Judeo-Christian ethic on the common good. Um, I understand that in New York City you can be fined, for t- fined a quarter of a million dollars if you intentionally use the wrong pronoun. Uh, towards a transgendered person, uh, which would be a very rude act, uh, but there's uh, a limitation on speech. Um, James is offering perhaps what we might call a restriction on speech, but it's not rules, it's not regulations, and it's not worthless efforts to limit what we can say that might offend any other person. Rather, James is is a confronting worldly speech that does not edify. Uh, He is appointing us in in a new direction, not with speech laws, but to ground our speech in a new source, in the word of life, and, and connect us with eternal springs of living water. Tonight, as we approach this text, I'd like us to consider our influence our present condition, and our eternal hope. This stinging indictment on fallen human speech uh, begins with actually a warning for teachers, those who would presume to teach. Uh, James says we will be judged more strictly, and in a day and age of, of fake news, we are all too well aware of the powerful influence of those who control education and communication. And so God will hold those account, hold those to account who lead the naive and the impressionable astray. Even Jesus warns uh, that it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and tossed into a lake than to lead a little one down the road to perdition. And so we need to understand as believers that we have tremendous influence that we, that we bear a weight of responsibility with that influence to encourage godliness, to speak in a manner uh, that promotes the ways of God, not the ways of the world. And we need to recognize that speech powerfully influences other people. We teach, of course, with our words, and we also teach by example. And the Word of God would instruct us 
to be teachers of others who God is and what he is like before our watching, needy, and impressionable world. These last two weeks, I've been around children on our Eastern mission trip and this past week of vacation Bible school and reminded that little eyes are watching, little ears are listening. And so I I think there's a, a first application that we need to take inventory of our speech to bring it in subjection under the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. But how, how do we do that? Because verse 2 uh, reminds us that we stumble in many ways. We trip over our speech and that this is more than foot and mouth syndrome. Uh, this is a real problem with our broken uh, human nature. In fact, it says that we cause other people to stumble. We are far from perfect, and our lack of perfection would condemn us were it not for the one who came in our likeness and satisfied perfection in our place. James says that if anyone could control his or her speech, you'd be perfect. If you control your speech, you control the whole body, so so it says. Um, But of course, there's only one who is perfect in speech. And we will talk more about him later on in the message. But consider the the various images that James offers us. He begins with a bridle, which you use to control a horse. And though a bridle is small, an experienced rider uh, can properly control a horse several times his or her size. Likewise, a a massive uh, shipping vessel Uh, is steered by a rudder that is a mere fraction of its size. And I believe that James is indicating here that just as an unruly horse, an an inexperienced or weak rider, or perhaps a, a broken rudder on a ship, or a captain who's asleep at the wheel, we too can bring much destruction if we don't manage our influence properly, we, we need to take inventory of the power we have of influencing others with our speech and not take lightly with care, careless words. You know, perhaps you heard as a child, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's an absolute lie. Words do hurt especially when they come from somebody of great influence, someone you respect and admire, a teacher, a coach, a parent, a a pastor. Anybody of influence can exact tremendous emotional and spiritual harm and pain in in our lives, and we can do the same to others who are impressionable. Harsh words stick, like, like painful, like splinters in our memories. They stick sometimes for many, many years. And and the enemy skillfully uses those things to oppress us, using criticisms to keep people oppressed in a world of negative thinking, of discouragement, worthlessness, feelings of despair, comparison, and hopelessness. And, And ridding our minds of such echoes of harsh words is no small task. So we need to weigh carefully the words we use, the tones in which we communicate them, And also, think carefully about the issues we address. Is it age-appropriate? Is it situationally appropriate? Proverbs is a good school teacher 
on the ways of careful, thoughtful speech. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Death and life are on the power of the tongue, so do not underestimate its power. There is one whose rash words are like sword, sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The Bible instructs us in wise speech to correct with gentleness, to teach with insight, to use words that build up rather than tear down. So I challenge you as I challenge myself tonight, is your influence over others characterized like an untamed animal or a ship out of control, or is it characterized by a mature beast that's been domesticated? Is it characterized like by a ship that's run with great excellence? And so as we, we think about that question, let's consider the remainder of our text that helps us understand our present condition and points us to our eternal hope. Verses 5 and 6 continue on with this stinging indictment on our present condition. James calls us out on the ways that our tongues boast and reap much destruction. He says that the tongue makes great boast. So what is boasting anyway? Boasting is self-praise, it's self-glory, self-adulation, using words or behavior to, to gain attention, to gain credit, earn approval. And perhaps we can be tempted to boast when we feel like we're not getting enough recognition. We have all of us have been guilty of tooting our own horn at times. It's cute when small children boast about some new skill they've mastered. It's obnoxious when a sitting president brags about TV ratings. But of course, boasting is not limited to what we say out loud, we can boast in our Christmas letters. We can boast on social media with our posts and the way we upload pictures. We can boast by failing to correct someone who gives us undue credit when we fail to give God the proper honor and, and credit that He alone deserves. The Bible instructs us to boast only in the Lord. He alone is worthy of all glory and praise, and His reputation is infinitely more important than ours. So the remainder of verses five, verse 5 and 6 goes on to catalog and illustrates the destructive nature of our words. A, a mere spark can set an entire forest on fire. We've seen on the news recently with the massive forest fires, especially in California. And I learned yesterday that even one blaze up in northern California has consumed 500 homes leaving destruction and misery in his path. And so James says that the tongue is set on fire by hell. It is a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body, the, the, the whole person. You know, when, when you say something awful and regretful to somebody, you feel dirty. When, when someone attacks you and accuses you, you, you feel stained and in filthy, like you need cleansing. 
And so, so James is begging the question is, you know, what will quench this fire? What will heal our unrighteousness? The gospel says that faith and repentance alone in Jesus Christ cleanses us from our crimson stains, puts out this terrible fire, restores our righteousness before God. But lest we too lightly treat our present condition, let us consider some of the numerous ways that we can sin with our tongues. I've already mentioned boasting. We could add exaggeration, using words to gain and keep people's attention, to inflate our image before others. And, and you know, sins of the tongue can, ha- can be on kind of a spectrum. Uh, that there's the severe kind that uh, directly violate God's commandments, the Ten Commandments. We blasphemy comes from our mouths, cursing God's name. We curse image bearers made in God's likeness. We lie. Lying to escape punishment, to save face, to perhaps punish or flatter other people. And then, of course, there's the other more respectable sense of the tongue, perhaps a critical spirit, a judgmental attitude, intentionally discouraging people. We can be oppressive with our tongues, dominating the conversation, controlling the conversation, refusing to let others chime in. Sometimes when, when children talk too much, we call them a motor mouth. Proverbs says, where, where words are many, sin is not absent. Earlier, James in his letter says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. Angry speech is rarely without sin. And God gave us one mouth, two ears. Uh, an anatomical picture of the priority of listening. But of course, we can be oppressive by refusing to speak. We can use the silent treatment to harshly punish a spouse, a child, a family member, or a friend. We can intentionally withhold praise, affirmation, encouragement, that just intentionally refusing to bless or build others up, all of which crushes The Spirit, says Proverbs. You've heard of monks who take a vow of silence. And I suppose there's some redemptive value of cutting down on the destructive sins of the tongue by refusing to speak at all. But you can still communicate ill will without speaking. Our our body language, our facial expressions... But even if we avoid sin with our mouths, our hearts are restless. And and that's where James is going as we move forward in this letter, recognizing that at the base of our tongue problems is ultimately a heart problem. That, That speech and language and matters of the tongue are ultimately issues of our fallen, broken hearts. Anatomically, it's, it's not mere coincidence, I believe, that the tongue is the second strongest muscle in the body. The heart is the strongest. And that just that helps to picture for us the power of what's going on in the heart, what's going on as we use speech to either bless or curse. 
Jesus says in Luke 6, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the spread of toxicity of the human heart has only been multiplied with our modern advances. Consider email, texting, websites, blogosphere, social media. All of these I call technological accelerators that are more quickly spreading the gangrene of negativity, hate, selfishness, greed, vicious attacks, accusations, all expressing the depravity of the human heart, spreading darkness with words that hurt and can even kill. Online bullying is at at, uh, epidemic measures with young people vulnerable to the abuses online of trolls and others who seek to uh, drive them mad and even into suicide. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that by hating your brother, you are committing murder. So yes, we need to consider strongly these warnings with the, the use of our tongue. So, so is there any hope? Is there any hope for those of us who struggle with issues of the tongue? Well, I believe there is as we come to verses 7 through 12. But first we need to acknowledge in verses 7 and 8 that we can't tame the tongue. Uh, there, there is no self-help message from Scripture on how to control your speech. Of course, God gave man original dominion to name and tame the animal kingdom. Domestic, domesticated beasts are legion uh, throughout the earth. And yet, there's many impressive uh, ways in which men have tamed wild beasts that we find in zoos and circuses, even places like SeaWorld. And it must be a real rush to work with a lion or a tiger or a killer whale without any type of cage or protective gear between uh, the two of you. But of course, uh, many of these experts have been humbled. Uh, I think back 15 years to the Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas that had to shut down its White Lion uh, performance show with Siegfried and Roy when Roy Horn was attacked and mauled by a tiger right in front of a, a live audience. SeaWorld also had to shut down its killer whale show years later uh, due to a similar tragedy. Taming wild animals is dangerous business. So is taming the tongue. And according to James, the the animal tamers have a better track record. It says in verse 8 that no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, if the heart is a toxic waste container, our mouths are the opening. A, A restless tongue is merely revealing an active heart that is searching for meaning and purpose, longing for satisfaction, but sometimes failing to recognize that everything in this world is meant to be enjoyed but cannot fully satisfy. There is only one who can satisfy. There is only one true hope. There's only one who can redeem the heart and tame the tongue. Verse 9 reminds us that the tongue was made to worship, that we were made to reflect God's image. We were made to spread blessing. But ever since the rebellion, our tongues have been guilty of great cursing. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. 
So what do we do? Where do we go when, when our tongues and our hearts are so tainted, he says here, by salt springs and fresh springs? Well, these images that James offers of freshwater springs, of figs and olive and, and vineyards, it demonstrates for us that we need a new source. All throughout the Bible, there, there's the theme of, of turning away from broken cisterns of the world to find life wells of eternal life that come from the Lord himself. James is pointing us towards living water. He's pointing us towards real fruitfulness. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That which Jesus offered the Samaritan woman at the well offers to us as well if we would repent who would turn away from broken cisterns that cannot satisfy our thirst. See, we have parched hearts. We have dry tongues. We, we, as it were, are adrift on a raft in an ocean filled with undrinkable water. That is the, the situation we find ourselves in in a world that cannot satisfy us. But there is one who can if we would come to him and drink free, freely. We cannot tame our tongues, but we can get a new heart. We can get a new root system that can renew our tongues and our speech. When I was at Easton two weeks ago with our mission team, one of the images and illustrations we used with the children there was an apple tree. And the leader was telling the kids that, you know, if you had an apple tree in your backyard and it was failing to produce fruit... Would it be beneficial to go down to the grocery store and buy apples and staple them to the apple tree? And, of course, the kids cried foul and said, no, that's, that's cheating, that's not right. You know, that's not really fixing the problem. Well, you know, trying to add kindness and patience and the fruit of the Spirit to our lives is faking and cheating. We have to go to the roots. You have to fix a tree problem. You have to fix an agricultural problem deep down the roots. And the same is true with our speech. Our speech cannot be fixed by uh, just modifying outward behavior. We have to go to the source. We have to go down deep into our hearts. Scripture would indicate that we need heart surgery. We need a new identity in Christ, a new source of life to turn away from the ways of the world. When I was in high school... I ran with a crowd of friends who liked to compete with cutdowns, with digs, with trying to demonstrate who was the most clever, who could put other people down. And when I got to college, I met the master. We had a friend in my, my circle who, who just could always get the upper hand. No one could outduel him. He always got the last word. And then, then we met his father at Parents' Day weekend. And we saw his father school him and and put him to shame and put him in his place. It was very satisfying in a sick kind of way. You know, there's one who is the master, who is the master at putting our speech in order, and you see that in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He was the absolute master. His enemies constantly tried to trap him in his words with a coin, with those he would associate with. And Jesus always saw through the pretense and turned the tables and exposed their duplicity in pointing people to praise the living God. And yet this same master of the tongue was silent before his accusers. Jesus went to the cross 
to die the death we deserve, to kill the beast of sin. And it's at the cross that, that the, the sin that is deep within our hearts finds its doom. It's only through the cross of Christ that we can find the true power to tame our tongues that comes from renewed hearts. But, but real tr- tongue control in the Christian life requires us to humbly submit to him, to yield to the lordship of Christ, to abide in him, to give him mastery over our thoughts, our desires, our relationships, even our plans and our agendas. You know, I recognize that when I am most guilty of unrighteous speech, it's usually because someone or something gets in my way. You know, it, someone crosses my plans or my agenda. I'm in a hurry. Somebody hinders my progress, so I punish with my words. I want something the way I want it, and someone comes along and undoes my beautiful creation, which irks my ire, that arouses my unholy wrath. My wife and kids can testify attest to how I can sin with angry and harsh words that are not seasoned with salt. You and I both, we wound rather than heal with our words. That should be a humble reminder for each of us that you and I both need fountains of living water. We need a fresh source of eternal life that cleanses our guilty hearts, that we might be a healing balm of God's grace to other people, to be encouraging to speak words that edify, to direct people to Christ as their only hope, to be loving, patient, kind, in the likeness of our Savior, the great lion tamer of hearts and tongues. I had a seminary professor who told us about his father who had been a hardened atheist and a member of the Communist Party, and his father apparently was a very stern angry man who would offer up many curses at the various injustices and evils that he saw in the world. But then late in his life, as his health was failing, as death's door came knocking, uh, this professor's father began to soften to the things of God and to begin to understand the gospel. He saw the beauty in the attraction of the gospel, but also was very aware of how undeserving he was. And so when conversing with the evangelist, uh, this professor's father asked, well, how can a worm such as I receive this gospel? To which the evangelist responded, how could a worm refuse? And so this father embraced Christ. And in the remaining months of his life became something sweet and tender, as though a, a bitter wound in the heart had been cured. And this professor of mine testified that till his father's dying day, he did not utter another curse word. He did not rail in anger at anyone or anything. I wish I could say the same for myself in my 25 years of walking with Christ. I believe my speech is better, and yet I have a long way to go towards protect Perfection. But if we would renew our tongues and put away cursing and let blessings flow, we need a new source. We must be washed and cleansed regularly by the blood of Christ. We, our hearts must be aligned in fellowship with God and to gain an eternal perspective. 
And as we gain that perspective, as we walk in a fellowship with God, we cannot help but express speech that edifies, that praises, that blesses, encourages, that builds up, affirms, and makes the gospel the most attractive good news the world has ever heard. Let me exhort us who struggle with the tongue to go back to the cross on a regular basis, to, the, to do the hard heart work of laying our burdens and our cares at the feet of Jesus. Ask him to cleanse and renew, to give you a renewed heart and tongue that you might become a life-giving spring of refreshment, of goodness, faithfulness, love, gentleness, patience, and joy in the Lord, both in this life and until we enter glory, when we will enter into his marvelous presence, renewed in the likeness of Christ with a resurrected tongue, equipped to sing his eternal praises to be a blessing to our brothers and sisters in Christ forever and ever. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, you are at work in us to renew us, to cleanse us, to prepare us for glory, and we humbly lay before you the many sins of our tongues and hearts that we know we're guilty of, and we come to you with humility, we come to you with gratitude for the hope of the gospel, that the one who was perfect in tongue, the one who was perfect in every way, has brought us into your holy presence and is renewing us even now. Encourage us and strengthen us to be a people who edify in speech in all manner in which you call us to live as lights before a dark world. We commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.